we're starting a we're starting a new series um, today. Having finished our series on Christian warfare over the last ten weeks, now we're going into encounters with Jesus that will take us through uh, through the summer. That's the plan there, um, and uh, it's very very important that we uh, that we keep meeting Jesus Christ in the Bible, and that we keep uh, coming face to face with Him uh, through the Word. You see. Uh, these four books that we call the Gospels that are in here, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, these are the historic documents that we have that tell us what Jesus Christ of Nazareth was like. Okay? So without these, we, we don't know what he was like. Um, and I think sometimes people don't really understand that. They say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like all that Bible stuff. No, no, no. You know who Jesus is by the Bible. Um, that's how we know about this Jesus of Nazareth, because four men, Matthew, Mark... Luke and John took it upon themselves to write accounts, um, three of them eyewitness accounts, uh, and the other one, Luke, went around lots of eyewitnesses and compiled together. And so it's so important that we keep getting into the Word and kept coming face to face with Jesus, because the Bible says that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. So what he was like then, what we read about, he's like now. So those of us who are following Jesus, loving Jesus, wanting, wanting to carry on and getting to know him better and better, this is what he's like. And those of us who are here because you're looking into that, you're thinking, well, what is this Jesus like? You're considering following him, getting to know him, this is what he's like. So we're going to just dig around in the Gospels for the next few months until the end of the summer and look at different people that encountered Jesus. Before we look at today's story... Um, we want to, as a part of this series, get a lot of testimonies going. And what we mean by that is stories of people today, contemporary stories, who have um, met with Jesus in some way, just so that we bring in a great mix of um, historical truth of what Jesus did, and then also speaking about contemporary things that have gone on. So I've asked uh, Steve of Steve and Esther if um, he would come and tell us... Just five minutes, a few stories, a few encounters with Jesus that he's seen, experienced, been involved in, in his life up to this point. So a big welcome for Steve. Steve, we're going to be like Siamese twins for the next few minutes. I'm going to give you these. You click them on there. Okay. So you get recorded and you get heard. All right. Actually, I'll just give you these. Great. I'm always so excited to talk about Jesus. And what Jesus has done, what I've seen, I've just, God has blessed me so much. It really has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with Him and His grace in my life. But throughout my travels in India and Central Asia and many other places, I've just seen so many miraculous things. And so I just want to tell you a little bit about that, about God's encounter there in India and and America And because as Steph has already said, Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the miracles that he does anywhere or whenever, he can do them right here and right now. And I truly believe that. And if anyone is sick today, Jesus wants to heal you. If anyone has an evil spirit, Jesus wants to set you free. If anyone has any emotional problems or anything like that, Jesus wants to heal you right now, today. Um, This is one story when I was in India. We were having a big open-air campaign um, telling people about Jesus. And there was a man there that came who had leprosy. 
So the leprosy had eaten away many parts of his body. He had no fingers. He had no nose. He had no ears. And pus was coming. Lots of pus, open sores. You could smell this guy from a long way away. Everybody in the market knew who this man was because whenever he would go to purchase something, you could smell him. And he couldn't really handle anything. His, his little stubs were, were bound with some kind of bandage. But he believed in Jesus. He found out what Jesus was doing. He came to the meeting. And on that first night, when we prayed for the sick, Jesus came down and touched him. His sores instantly dried up. So those little stubs, no, no longer was there running pus and blood. But those sores completely dried up. And then he came back the next night, and his fingers started to grow out. His ears started to grow out. His nose started to grow out. It was a gradual healing, a gradual miracle. But by the last night, he had a brand new nose, brand new ears, and brand new fingers. That is awesome, isn't it? That is just awesome. And Jesus can do that right here, right now, wherever you are whatever situation you might be in. He's always willing to heal you. And another place that we were at, there was a a man possessed by many, many, many evil spirits. He was a wild man. Um, They couldn't tame him. His, His father and his brothers had to keep him chained up. He was bound in chains and tied to a tree. He couldn't speak at all. He was, I would say, he's probably in his mid-30s. He couldn't speak at all. If they let him go, they let him. If they unchained him, he would immediately try and drown himself in water, or jump into fire, or cut himself and tear all of his clothes off. He would just run, run around like a wild animal. And they they said that he had many evil spirits. And they brought him chained up to the meeting. There's about five men because this man was very strong, uncontrollable. It took five men to hold him back carrying them uh, all chained up. And when they got to the meeting, I think it was just in the presence of God. We didn't even pray for him. He just got into the presence of God where they were worshiping Jesus. And suddenly, all the evil spirits started coming out one by one. And eventually, they started unchaining him. They said, wow, this guy is not freaking out. He's not trying to kill himself. And he was actually able to speak for the first time. And he came up and gave his testimony saying that he had been tormented since he was basically from birth by evil spirits. And that now he's set free. And he gave all the glory and honor to Jesus. Jesus was there. Jesus set him free. And another one is uh, my dad's testimony. He, he had grown up, and, or he, he had been telling a lot of people about Jesus all over the world, in India, Africa, Europe, all over Asia. He had seen many miracles, he'd seen many people be saved. But somebody came and visited him from our local church, and then went back and reported a lot of false information, told a lot of lies about my dad which really, really, really hurt him. So he went into deep despair, kind of depression. 
and we moved back. I was very young at this time, about six. We moved back to the, the States. Then he got involved in drugs, started with the, the light drugs, but then he got addicted to crack cocaine, which they say is the most addictive substance known to man. So he was on that for about two or three years, where he, he said he was at the point of death. He could feel his heart racing, and he could, thought he could die at any time. But then one of my dad's mentors, the one that kind of trained him up, found out his condition and wrote to my mom and said, I'm going to pray over this handkerchief. I'm going to put it in, the, in an envelope and mail it to you. And as soon as my dad gets it, he's going to be set free. Um, and so he did that. He prayed over this handkerchief, sent it in the mail, crossed the U.S. And right when my dad touched this handkerchief, when he got it out, because my dad wanted to be set free, but he was so addicted he could not. He tried many, many times, but he couldn't. But as soon as he touched this handkerchief, the power of the Holy Spirit went into his body and he was completely set free from that addiction instantly. Um, just a mighty miracle. And, and now today he is traveling in and out of India doing ministry, preaching the gospel again, praying for the sick. Many people are healed. And so just an awesome testimony how God can restore somebody. Somebody that did follow him, but then fell away and then completely restored again and back to him. And that's just, it's so exciting what Jesus can do. And he can do that right now. Amen. Thank you. All right, I've got to follow that now. So, um, yeah, obviously feeling really confident. No, I am. I'm going to preach the Bible. So I'm really, very confident. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you don't, we're going to put the words up here so you can follow it on the screen. We're going to read the story. It sounds... Um, uh, well, I didn't know the testimonies that Steve was going to share. I didn't brief him at all on that. But you'll hear some very strong similarities between this story and one of the stories that Steve told. They, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have, you do to, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the, of his, of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demonized man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it, 
described to them what had happened to the demonized man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demonized begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Father, thank you for this incredible story, this historical account. Help us to come to terms with it in the understanding of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Help keep us, Lord, from ways of thinking that subtly undermine spiritual truth. Keep us, Lord, from um, subtle deceptions. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to this story. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. This message is going to be a very straightforward, conventional intro. Point one, point two, point three, outro. Okay? Cool. Intro. Here we go. Observation. In the UK, if there was somebody in this condition, they would be treated in, they would be treated in two ways, psychologically and biologically. Attempts would be made very, very quickly to deal with things biologically, settle things down, and then there would be attempts that would be made psychologically to try to understand what, in the psychological realm, caused the person to get into this uh, kind of state. But I want to say this, it's very important that you hear this. If the person in the modern day UK actually had the same condition as the man in the story, those things would not be enough. Because this is a spiritual problem. And although it impacts on the biological and on the psychological, at its source, it's spiritual. And I just just want to ask you to hold that in your minds and in your hearts before we go any further. Because we can tend to write off things that the Bible clearly puts down to spiritual issues and psychologize them. Or make a case simply around biology and psychology and think that somehow we've kind of moved on from that stuff. It's not really like that. That's how they saw it in those days. But we know now that it's like this. I want to say, actually, that's how the Bible writers recorded it because that's how the Holy Spirit inspired them to record it because that was the case. It's a spiritual issue. And it needs to be dealt with spiritually. And I would dare to be bold enough to say that part of this, uh, I don't know how to put it, scenario that we're looking at where we have the biological, the psychological and the spiritual helps to explain how our society is making such advances medically and yet there seems to be more and more psychologically disturbed people around. What I'm not doing is decrying biological or psychological help for one moment, but I'm saying there's often more to it than that. The spiritual. And we've got to face things on a spiritual level. And I, 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 want, I want to be up front and say that from the start, because I think we can actually get blindsided and think we've gone beyond it. Actually, we haven't gone beyond it, we've just been duped. So that's the intro. There it is. It's hanging there, but I want you to live with that. Okay. First point. This man is so extreme... It's such an extreme case. I want to ask the question, does it bear any relevance for you and me? 
there's clearly no one in the room that is in this man's condition. Am I right? So you can tend to read it and think, amazing story, and here's Steve's story, and think, isn't that incredible? But I don't know anyone like that, and I'm not like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break the man's condition down element by element and draw some things out. And um, maybe, maybe at some point you'll think, oh, that felt a bit close to home. Because it's quite rare to find someone who's in this condition. But actually, elements of his condition are perhaps more common than you might think. Firstly, the introduction to the man, he's described as having an unclean spirit. What does that mean? Because it can be taken two ways. What does it mean biblically when it says the man had an unclean spirit? I think the most natural reading, we might think that it means that something about the man himself was unclean. Something about his spirit, his kind of internal, invisible, the, you know, the, the inner being of the person was unclean. Well, this phrase is used 13 times in the New Testament. Every time it's used to mean something different from that. What it's talking about is a spirit being that is foul and corrupt. That has in some way, somehow, taken up some kind of residence in the man. It's not fundamentally part of the man. It's a separate spirit being. See, as Christians, we believe in God who is spirit. He's not fundamentally physical, he's spiritual. We believe the Bible teaches that there are many other spirit beings in the spirit realm. Angels who minister, serve God and come as messengers. And then fallen angels or unclean spirits. And every time in the New Testament when this phrase is used, it's talking about an unclean spirit that has somehow attached itself to a person and as a result as a result is causing unclean foul corrupt influence and uh, harm and the word unclean can mean everything from kind of morally unclean just nasty nasty stuff dark in, into dark things through to ceremonially unclean which would impinge even on hygiene and stuff like this so that's the situation that describes the man. That's what we've got here. That's what's happening. Uh, and the reason I want you to understand it is this. If all of our problems as people come down to the fact of who we are, all of them, then we can misdiagnose. If every thought that we have, every horrible thought we have, we think, man, alive, what is up with me to have thought that? If every nasty, dark thing that enters our head or that we feel a desire that we want to do, is sourced in us, then we misdiagnose the problem. The Bible does say definitely that there is indwelling sin, and there's elements, there's things in us and parts of us that do absolutely want and crave things that are really bad. And we've got to learn, by God's grace as Christians, to overcome that by the Holy Spirit and through repentance. But also, the Bible talks about attack from the outside. Evil spirit beings wanting to influence and cause us to uh, draw us into really nasty stuff. Now it's really important you understand that because if you don't get that element, then you can be a bit like the person who's got a pit bull attached to their ankle and their whole strategy for trying to get it off is to punch themselves. It's not going to work. You've got something else on you. You've got to deal with that. And I think very often believers, are, you know, they're, they're kind of feeling, I don't believe it, you know, I'm, I'm feeling compulsions this way or this or that. I must, I'm terrible and they get into, you know, kind of terrible, self-destructive, you know, self-loathing, man, I'm the worst thing ever. They've got a spiritual pit bull around their ankle. Someone needs to boot the thing off. 
not start pummeling them. So I'm wanting to just bring that to you. It's big stuff, but it's spiritual reality. It's biblical reality. So I want to bring it before you so you've got that in your head. Okay, let's look at some things about this man. First, he's among the tombs. This man is more at home with death than he is with life. This man feels more comfortable around mourning, around misery, around sadness and around tears than he does around joy and celebration. Something's happened in him. The influence of this unclean spirit on him has driven him towards death. Very, it's not, it's not unique for people to experience this kind of thing and think, what is it? Why? I have a fascination with death. Or compulsive, suicidal thoughts coming in. Or even murderous things coming in. Do you know that God is the God of life? And he's the living God. God is a God whose destiny for human beings is that he wipes away every tear from our eyes and takes us to, a, to recreates a new heavens and a new earth where there's no more tears or sadness, mourning, pain or death. This is the heart of God. This is the life of God. This is, this is the very destiny of God for human beings. The last thing he wants for us is to be around death, fascinated with it, thinking and considering it. The Bible calls death the last, the final enemy that Jesus will defeat at his return. But I want to ask you, if you're here today, is that something that maybe you think, well, you know what, I'm a bit like that. Well, look at what happens. I want want you to see what happens to this man. I want you to see what what happens when this man meets Jesus. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Secondly, the man is naked. I don't know if it says it in this... um, in this account here, but you'll also find it in Luke. In Luke 8, it makes the point that he's naked. All of his dignity has been stripped away. He's fully, he's fully humiliatingly exposed, this man. He's a man of shame. There's been no covering for him. The love that covers and dignifies and protects and restores, he's not known it. And as a, as a result, he's lost all sense of personal dignity and a sense of being able to just stand up and know that he's covered. It's, it's gone. That can happen. That can happen in life. Things can go on and you can be beaten down by enough things and in the end you just feel, do you know what? I've got nothing left. Just totally exposed and even humiliated. The heart of Jesus for you is so the opposite from that. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. There's a covering in the heart of God that he wants to bring. So many people stay away from the Lord because they think, if I come to God, I know what he's going to do. He's going to blast me. He's going to judge me. Do you know what? The day is the day of salvation. It's not the day of judgment. If you come to God, open heart and confess your sins, he will cover you. He's the one that will get alongside you and will say, do you know what? I forgive you, I cleanse you, come into my embrace. He's not a God who will expose you and strip you of your dignity and say, yeah, there, look, there you go. No, actually, the further you run from him, the more that will happen. When you come to him, the opposite happens. In fact, through the gospel, the Bible says that God clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So many people are aware that apparently God is so holy and so pure, you know, that I could never stand before him. Well, of course you couldn't. That's why there's this thing called the gospel. 
where God has come and through his son Jesus Christ has made a way for you to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus as a free gift that you can stand before God. And you no longer have to try and justify yourself and explain why it's okay or pretend that you're just some really good person. You come as you are, made totally righteous in Jesus. If you're here today and you know that sense of nakedness, that sense of shame, that sense of being exposed and humiliated, Jesus has got something different for you today. Next is isolated. He's an isolated man. Everyone's terrified of him. No one wants to go near him. He lives out by himself in the tombs. You know, this is one of the enemy's most subtle tactics. One of Satan's most subtle tactics is to isolate people and pick them off. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you've ever watched one of those nature programs, you'll see you've got the herd of, you know, the, the antelope or the zebras or whatever. They're all there together. Well, very often the lion's strategy is you've got to try and find one that's straggling. Find one that's not with the pack and we'll just, we'll isolate that one there and get that one. That's how it goes. That's the, that, that, is, what, that is what Satan would love. For you to feel like the only person you can trust is yourself. And maybe, oh, I'll come along to church, but I'm not going to open my heart to anyone. I'm not going to really, I'll I'll be here, but I'm going to just remain as like a fortress because I've been hurt too many times and I understand that. And so many people come to church with so much pain and disappointment and things have gone belly up. And I understand, I really, really do. But the solution is not to remain a fortress yourself. It really isn't. It's a kind of a false, it's a false security. It feels safe, but you know, what happens is, is that in the end, you, you, begin to, you begin to lose all sense of sound judgment. Proverbs 18 says, he who separates, verse 1 says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire, and he argues against all sound judgment. You just get entrenched in your own little blind spots and prejudices, and, and then when people come and try and give you some sound advice, you think, hey, oh no, oh, oh no, it's because you want to get me, and so oh, and you and you keep them out, and you become a bit mad. Got to be honest, it happens. It happens. And one of the safest places you can be is knowing Jesus, you are my dwelling place. You are my dwelling place. And you, who is my dwelling place, has called me to be part of a community called the church. And because of that, as an act of faith in you, I'm going to give my heart to these people. And if they do wrong me, I'm going to go to them and say, do you know what, I feel you've let me down. I feel you've sinned against me. Can we talk about it? And we'll work it through together. And there'll be forgiveness. And maturity will come. And we'll build and build and build together. That's how it works. That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus works. So he's more familiar with death and at home with death than life. He's naked and ashamed. He's isolated. Next, he's unmanageable. His man is completely unmanageable, as we heard in Steve's story. Unable to yield. He's unable to yield himself to anyone. Anyone ties up, breaks it off. Now, I know you've got to be able to say no and know when to say no, but if in your spirit you are unable to yield, people can't manage you. That when you're part of a team, no one wants to ask you to do anything because you're all prickly. Or you give off this kind of thing, you know. Everyone's like, oh, you ask him, no, you ask him. Because you can't be managed. Or you never admit when you're wrong. Or there's something in your spirit that just fights against that. I tell you, it's a dark, dark thing. 
tell you, it is. It's toxic. It's a toxic, horrible, dark thing. We see it more and more in our classrooms and schools. There's a prevailing, who are you to tell me what to do, spirit in our nation? It's ungodly. If you're here as a Christian, I want to say to you, it's ungodly. The Bible talks about wisdom from above in the book of James. It's beautiful. Listen to this description. This is what it's like to have godly wisdom. This is what it looks like. It says this. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. I love this. Open to reason. Open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial, sincere. That's the heart of Jesus for you. That's the heart of Christ. Not that you're an unmanageable unwilling to yield, proud, puffed up, prickly kind of person. That's all on the dark side, that business. It's all on the dark side. If you are unmanageable, unaccountable and wild, you are into a folly that is beyond words. And then finally, self-harming. He's a self-harmer. Cuts and gashes himself with stones. Now many, this seems to be a big problem, a massive deal. For people in the UK at the moment, when you speak to counsellors and social workers, you see so many people seem to find some kind of comfort in hurting themselves. I mean, you know, you you look at it, I look at it, I think, well, who would do such a thing? But apparently many do. Literally cut themselves. Some of you may have the scars or even the scabs to prove it. Some of you may deliberately be wearing long sleeves today because you think, do you know what? People saw my arms. There is a wrong self-love in the Bible and a right self-love in the Bible. There's a wrong self-love which is this kind of bigging yourself up, you know, putting yourself first, preferring yourself before others. The I am syndrome, it's all about me. That's condemned in the Bible. But then there's a good self-love you read about in Ephesians 5 where the Bible talks about nourishing and cherishing your body. That you care about who you are who God's made you actually that you're content with who you are how you look whether you're skinny or curvy dark skinned or fair skinned whether you've got a Roman nose or a button nose you're at peace with it you're at peace with who you are it's godly it's a godly it's a powerful godly thing we're reading more and more aren't we about five, seven year olds with eating disorders why is this dark? It's dark. Well, probably, who, I don't know why. Maybe they're raised in homes where the parents are obsessed with their bodies. I don't know. I know one, somehow Satan has found a way in. This slavery to feel you've got to look a certain way. Praise God in Christ. We are to be genuinely and deeply content in who he has made us. Yeah. It's lovely. And you know who you are and know what you're not. You know? Know what you are and know what you're not. So I can have Adrian Hoskin, who used to be with us, you know, Mr. Universe, come round, <laughs> come round and say, Levi, ask Adrian to show, show, show you his muscles. Adrian go, and all these things. And then know the inevitable that's coming next when Levi looks at me and says, Dad, you do that. I mean, I just sort of laugh it off and say, it's not going to look exactly the same as that. It's going to look kind of different. <laughs> it's going to be a lot wobbly and stuff. 
And uh, yeah, it's really not going to look like that. We'll do it later when no one's around, you know. And just to be able to, <laughs> to be able to be at peace with little, you know, just stuff like that. It kind of seems really normal. You wouldn't think, what's that got to do with God? Everything. Yeah. Everything. You know, I mean, my, my sister's got footballer's legs. I've got supermodel's legs. We said, they've got swap. They got, <laughs> we've got the wrong legs. Me and my sister, we laugh about it frequently. Her legs are powerful. I would love her thighs. <laughs> she would love my thighs. We talk and laugh about it. But there's a peace in it. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> These things are funny, but for some people, I tell you, it's massive. Yeah. It's huge. Hours in front of the mirror. Magazines. Slavery. So that's the state of the guy. Maybe you're starting to relate to him a little bit in some ways now more than you were at the start of the sermon. Second point. These two, next two points are shorter. Second point. Submission to Christ is all. Watch this. Even in this state, he was able to run to Jesus and bow the knee. In this terrible state... With the, all the spirits inside of him, the last thing they want is him to be near Jesus. Even in this state, he hasn't got anyone to bring him along. He gets to Jesus and bows the knee. And you know what? That's all you've got to do. This is huge. And people might slate me for preaching a simplistic message, but I will preach it and preach it again. Because I've done enough pastoral work with people now to recognise that at the heart of it, we always get to this. Submission to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> always. In my life, you know, when there's an issue going on, I faff around the edges, around the peripherals, around the margins, well, it could be because of this, it could be because of that. It's always about Jesus. Always relates directly to him. It's massively huge. There is no captivity too strong to keep you from submitting to Jesus. To keep you from bringing that very thing to him. It is not too strong to keep you away. There's no evil compulsion so great that it can keep you from submitting it to Christ. There's no stain so entrenched and so dark that can keep you from being cleaned up by Jesus. I am telling you the truth. In your mind and head, some of you will be hearing that it's not true, that I'm being oversimplistic. I am preaching God's truth to you. Jesus can and will do it. Now it's vital because only submission to Jesus leads to freedom. Only submission to Jesus because he's the king. He has all authority. This is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. The king has come, the true king. And he will reign forever. And he rules and reigns now with all authority in heaven and on earth. And as you submit to him and wait on him and trust him, And don't panic and flip out and go to this and go to that. Or just kind of make a show of submission but really do something else. As you bring yourself to Jesus, you bring yourself to the one with all authority. Who will work out his glorious purposes in your life. One way or another. Some things will go bang in a moment like here. Other things take longer but they will fall. And the light and the freedom and the life of Jesus will break in. These evil forces in, inside of the man, they knew, oh boy, they're the ones confessing, oh, it's you! <laughs> ah, don't send us out! Don't send us to the abyss! We, there's so much stuff we could do on this sermon on you know, how this whole evil spirit stuff works. I'm not going to do it, because this is about the man meeting Jesus. But if you want to talk about it after, you can come and find me, we can talk about these things. But I want you to just get this. 
whether it's suicidal tendencies, self-harm, horrible isolation, none of these things go deeper than your decision to yield or not to Jesus. So come to him. I'm gonna, at the end of this message, I'm going to call you forward. Call. We don't normally do this calling forward stuff. It's not, we wouldn't normally do that. But I've deliberately brought the, some bread and wine forward here. At the end, I'm going to say, some of you, you just need to come and say, Jesus, I'm going to submit to you. And it's not if. It's not, I'm going to submit to you, and then you, it's, I'm just going to submit to you and trust that you're going to do things and do them perfectly. It's important that we do that today. That's all the man did. Bottom line, ran to Jesus and knelt down, and then Jesus dealt with it. And then thirdly, Jesus doesn't bring total transformation to the man here. I'll say that again. Jesus does not bring total transformation. He still got old and died. He still, for the rest of his life, would have had to mature, and in doing so, would have made mistakes. Now the point I'm making here is this. This, and this is encouraging, this story is not a picture of the age to come. Because in the age to come, when Jesus returns, the Bible says, in the age to come, we will receive brand new bodies, right? So you've got to get this straight. The Bible, talking about eternal life, is not talking about us floating around. Okay, that is not what the Bible teaches, that we'll float around. The Bible teaches that we'll be given brand new bodies, physical bodies. We will be physical forever. But they will not be uh, in any way vulnerable to decay or age or illness. We will be on the earth. God will create a brand new heavens and a new earth. So we're going to live here forever in brand new bodies. It's important to get your heads around that. So they'll probably be gardening and whatever, and that, sort of, that walking around and chatting and, that, and cuddling, that's going to still happen. Okay? It's not going to be, hi, hello, as we float by each other. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be very normal, but very glorious. Okay? Very normal, but very pure. I, I, you know, I don't know how, maybe it'll be like, we'll be, able to, we'll be like, I don't know, so pure, we'll be see-through. Who knows, but it'll be like, but we'll still be able to see each other. I don't know, but, you know, it'll be like, it'll just be nothing to hide, none of that awkwardness of kind of, I don't know, fear, timidity, guilt, shame, and all that nonsense, totally gone. Um, being able to just connect perfectly in the presence of God together. That's, that's, that's the... That's the transformation that comes in, in the age to come. No more death, um, no more process of maturing. The Bible says when he, when he appears, we'll be just like him in a moment. So we'll be totally in, in the likeness of Christ, in our character. Okay? Now it's important you understand that and you, you get your hope on that. But actually this story isn't a picture... Because someone could say, well this story is amazing, but this is talking about another age, the age to come when Jesus brings this kind of transformation. No it isn't. No, it isn't. It absolutely isn't. The man still had a normal body with indwelling sin and he would have got old and died. This is talking about the kind of transformation Jesus wants to bring now. That's the key. This is this age, Jesus' transformation. That's what it is and we need to be in faith for it. It's a messy business following Jesus. Things never work out how you thought. How you, you, they, they don't. It's, I mean, if you follow Jesus for more than a few months, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you think, oh yeah, that's going to happen, oh yeah, and then that, and then that, very rarely does it. There's often a number of unanswered questions in your past that you just think, they're just kind of sitting there. You never really quite know what's going to happen next, even though you think you do. So it's a real adventure. And I'm not pretending that every prayer gets instantly answered, and this, that, and the other, you know, none of those things. Okay? 
But what I do know is, in the midst of that, I agree absolutely with what Steve said earlier. It is totally his will to heal, to transform, to set free. And I believe that it is absolutely God's heart that we press on together for him for that, believing him for that. I believe he wants to do so much more in this age and in this time than we're seeing him doing. And we gotta, we just got to keep pressing and just not start making excuses for why things don't happen. Come on, let's go forward together. Let's keep trusting him. And let's take the Bible as our standard and, and, and say, Jesus, help, fit, help fit us fit our experience into that rather than trying to dull the Bible down into our experience. Say, so, no, Lord, lead us onwards into where you are going. Amen? Amen. Outro. Isn't it surprising the way the local people respond to Jesus. They come along, they find the man clothed and in his right mind, and their response is, please can you leave? Please can you go straight away? It's a strong word. It's the word is to beg or implore. It's the same word that the man uses when he asks to go with Jesus. You say, why? Why, why, would, why would this happen? Here's why. When God works in power... It doesn't always do what you think it will do. Very often people say, if we saw more miracles, everyone would become Christians. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. Because it's scary when when miracles happen. I don't know how Steve felt when he saw these things. I mean, I had, I've told you the story of my friend who got healed of fibromyalgia. That kind of it's like a it's a it's a nerve kind of disease. But you know, and he went from kind of sort of walking around like that to literally come around my house, open the door, and he's, do, he's doing Highland dancing on the doormat, literally. And I was I was surprised because I was terrified, genuinely. I thought I would just start, start dancing with him, and I was just like, oh. This is amazing, but I'm really scared. And there's something about the works and the power and the word of God that actually they have a, they have a dividing um, effect to them. They tend to separate those who want, really want God and those who don't want God. Those who think, do you know what, even though he's scary, I, I'm in for this. This is real and authentic and I want to know my maker. And those who think, do you know what, I actually don't. I want to do my own thing. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want to submit to God. I want to do what I want to do. And when God's word comes and God's power comes, that's what happens. There's a dividing effect. It's like a sword that just cuts. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And mother will be, you know, against daughter. And sometimes there's these, wow, God works. And there's difficulties in relationship as a result. What is that? It's just what happens. It's what happens. Tim Keller says this, you either kill him or you crown him. You can't, you, don't, you can't just say, what an interesting guy. You have to either say, he's the king and I'm going to serve him. Or ultimately you just end up crucifying him. You say, I don't want anything to do with him. Go away please. Get back in the boat. Leave my area. And I want to just end by calling you today. Particularly those of you who you may be in a situation where you're, you're looking into Christ. You're still not signed up in that sense. You know, you're finding out more. You're asking questions. Maybe you're starting to pray and read books and things about it. I want to say, don't be like these people. You know, Jesus really upset their livelihood. He sent 2,000 of their pigs into a lake and drowned. They lost a lot of money that day. That was part of the problem. Big inconvenience. Jesus comes to massively inconvenience your life. <laughs> Am I right? Christians, am I right? 
He comes to massively inconvenience your life. He's going to turn over the, your, the tables of the way you want to do it, and he's going to show you a much better way. But it takes humility to let him. I want to call you to join Jesus on an adventure where you crown him with many crowns and you follow him into all that he's got for you. I want to call you to that today. As I'm speaking, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is just showing me that for some it's not so much that you, you are a believer and you're doing great or that you know, you're kind of still figuring it out. But actually you, you, could, you would say, well I've known that time, those seasons of really running with Jesus and crowning him and and it's not, what, it's not like it was. I just feel the Holy Spirit wants to minister to people today. You just feel like it's not quite like it was. And I don't even know what the reasons are. They can be many and varied. But there are many dangers, toils and snares that, that, that come along that can kind of trip us up and cause us to lose the flame. The flame die down a bit. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to particularly highlight you today and let you know that he's interested and he wants to call you back. Sounds like the batteries are going here. So I'm going to finish by going for a response. And um, it's the response I want to call for is uh, people who, elements that I read out about the guy at the start, you're thinking, man, do you know what? I've got a bit of that in me. And maybe others know, maybe no one knows, but you think, Phew. and you want to just come and submit to Jesus today. That's just a simple thing. I'm going to just get a bit of bread, dip it in the wine, give it to you you just come and you just bow the knee you just bow the knee it's no one, I don't even know if we'll do praying for you but you just get before Jesus draw near the Bible says if you draw near he will draw near yes. you just draw near say Jesus I submit to you have your way with me it's a holy moment between you and the Lord but also if, if that's that, I hadn't planned that thing about those of you who you, you feel like I've just lost the flame a bit you know it's not like it was and you know, maybe there's areas, you know what it is, and you need to submit that to Christ. And I want to just say, look, the Holy Spirit, highlight that for a reason. And obviously there's always, as ever, every week, you know, the call to those of you who, you've, ne- you've never yet said, Jesus, I want to call you Lord. I want to submit to you. I want to bow the knee. Well, if you want to come and take the bread and wine for the first time, in doing so, what you're saying is, Jesus, I recognise your body was broken for me. And your blood shed. For the forgiveness of my sins. And I want to put my trust entirely in you. Submit to you. And call you Lord. And mean it. Let you in the driver's seat of my life. Lead me on King Jesus.